You're listening to the Prison Poetry Workshop Podcast. I'm Ren Smith. Here we present readings, commentary, recordings, and stories about the little-known and even less understood literary tradition of prison poetry. Built replete with cellar dungeons in 1852, the prison of San Quentin has a brutal history that's been fodder for Hollywood films. You have that whistle, back here, jobs, all of it. How's it going? We won't go back to work. The 1937 Humphrey Bogart movie, San Quentin, for instance, builds itself as an amazing drama of desperate men behind the walls. But the modern reality of San Quentin seems different. Though the prison certainly has its problems, there were prisoner riots there as recently as 2012. It's also made some important changes. Arriving at the castle-like structure which edges a northern jut of the San Francisco Bay. It's a breezy, blue sky day. Said I was born in Tennessee. I learned to walk, I learned to talk, and then I learned to lie, that's right. An inmate strums a guitar and sings while, on a sandy baseball field, a dozen or so prisoners enjoy the innocent pleasures of an afternoon game. Nearby, Native American inmates fire up a sweat lodge, and over at what's called the art trailer, there's an event proceeding. So you come to prison, you don't see a lot of muscle-bound guys out there doing this. You come in here and you get some good stories. Ah, amazing. Okay, I wonder what you guys are going to be tweeting about when you get out of here, you know? A group of prison writers from San Quentin writing class, Brothers in Pen, are giving a reading. Clearly, this is an event for the press. So we're only seeing the part of San Quentin that prison officials want us to see. But it's still impressive. The men in the front of the room, wearing their prison blues, are delivering diverse and nuanced work. Around them, boxes that once held my photographs, my life's work, lay scattered from the fallout. Their five-by-seven guts blown all over the concrete. Inmate Emile de Weaver, for instance, reads a melancholy short story about a man taking stock of his life after a medical procedure. My award-winning shot of a boulder that in the blue dust light could pass for a contemplating caped hero, ripped. The mallards shaking the wetlands off their wings as they take flight, ripped. A self-portrait of me in my wheelchair, burned. Though there's some genre fiction, a few prisoners unsurprisingly, have written first-person crime narratives. In general, the reading feels like the sort of heady cultural event you'd find at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco or the 92nd Street Y in New York. The writers discuss their craft in sophisticated terms, charm the audience with witticisms, discuss the thematic subtext of their work. They've benefited from some of the best minds in contemporary literature. Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Juno Diaz has visited more than once, providing valuable feedback, and has even penned the foreword to a Brothers in Pen anthology. The class is a golden opportunity, as is, inmates say, San Quentin. San Quentin is one of the most extraordinary uh, places I've ever seen in my life. A beneficial change. 
It's extraordinary. That's Andrew Gazzini, a Brothers in Penn reader who stopped to talk to us during intermission. Many of the classes he's referring to are provided by Patton College's Prison University Project, which offers everything from algebra to comparative religion, physics to ethics, and whose academic staff have day jobs at universities like Stanford. Only a handful of correctional facilities offer similar education opportunities. Um, I've been in uh, five other prisons. I was in uh, North Kern State Prison. I was in Wasco. I was in Salinas Valley. I was in Pleasant Valley. But like I said, none of them compare at all uh, to this prison here. The more than 70 programs run by San Quentin's huge core of volunteers makes it something of a rarity in the California penal system. Like nearby Stanford University, it benefits from the programs being privately and independently funded. State funding for education programs in California prisons was completely cut in 2010, which has created a dire situation at most other facilities. This all makes San Quentin pretty hard to get into. Andrew says he's making the most of it. At times, he seems more like an overachieving undergrad matriculating at an Ivy than a guy convicted of second-degree murder 13 years ago. And I'm one of those lucky people that is, I've spent four years here, you know, uh, I go to college, I get straight A's, I get A's and B's, I get B's too. When it's time for him to take the stage, it's clear that one of the things he's learned during his four years at San Quentin is how to be a provocative essayist. The piece he reads is about how Andrew, a lifer, might get out in a few years, but only, he thinks, on account of a horrific event. It's called Unlikely Savior. As I look into my mirror, into my eyes, I stand astounded and amazed at the fact that lifers are beginning to be released on parole. For the last three decades, only a handful of murderers have been released. I ask myself, from where does my rescue come? I believe that God Almighty has answered the prayers of the doomed convicts, but how and why? I look back into the past. I am awestruck by what I have come to realize. The startling fact that I can attribute my chance at freedom to only one man, Bin Laden. As appalling as this may sound, I believe it is a fact. Bin Laden's attack on the World Trade Centers began a chain reaction series of events that would bring about my release from state prison, even the possibility who could believe that the horrendous event we have come to know as 9-11 could have benefited anyone in any conceivable way? Andrew argues the 9-11 attacks inspired an economic downturn that's made it impossible for California to maintain its current prison population, creating a situation where some of California's lifers are suddenly being offered parole. I now clearly see that love had nothing to do with any of this. It was, is, and always has been anger, hate, and vengeance. The president did not save us. The governor did not save us. 
Nobody in this world did anything to save us. Nor did any of you do anything to save us. In reality, your plan was to keep us here forever. Was it not? The virtue of Andrew's theory aside, what's more interesting is the latitude he's given to Aaron. Prisons are typically bastions of censorship, even going so far as to record all prison calls and read all outgoing and incoming mail. Yet, in the context of art, prisoners can express things the way they want. While mouthing off to a guard during child time can get you written up, during the reading, nothing is taboo. The plot of one inmate's story revolves around breaking out of San Quentin. And if NMC inmate Julian Glenn Luke Paget gets to wrap up the show with a clarion call for prison reform. Tell them of what we did and the experience that you had and what you saw, especially when the laws come in about prisons and you remember who we were and how we affected your day, hopefully in a positive and gracious way. Though they're in an environment defined by restriction and confinement, prisoners can tell their stories the way they want. That seems particularly important when it comes to the exponentially passionate and rebellious tradition of poetry. I'm Ren Smith. We'll be back next week with more prison poetry. To find out how you can lend your voice to our poetry archive, go to prisonpoetryworkshop.org.